0: Infinity Pool is set in a fictional country that offers a peculiar alternative to capital punishment. Brandon Cronenberg returns after Possessor with another intense science fiction thriller that sure to give us plenty to talk about. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me for the first time ever is david i come in peace i don't believe you you're right i'm a very warlike species <laughs> yeah this is a science fiction movie podcast and we get together and we talk about sci-fi and movie it's quite that simple and in this episode david's first uh, joining the show replacing tara who we send on our, our farewell viking funeral out to sea where we will set fire to the boat uh she was definitely dead first we checked uh but <laughs> We are here today to talk about Infinity Pool, because I thought, you know, it's David's first episode, he <laughs> should have yeah. a, a light-hearted, fun romp with, you know, a straightforward story, nothing too extreme to, to sink his teeth into yet. I, I,
1: there was a point in this movie where I thought, I'm going to make a pun, and I'm going to say, wow, Infinity Pool, really throwing me in on the deep end here, Pete.
0: <laughs> I mean... It's only a pun because it happens to have a pool related title. The fact is, you could have said that if it was named anything else, and it would have made sense, so...
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: But it just has that extra little kick. It's a justifiable pun, as we say Mm -hmm. in the pun business. So, uh, yes, we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg had another movie, another sci-fi movie that me and Tara did a couple of years ago called Possessor, Mm -hmm. and that was a very interesting film. It was very cerebral, and it was very much a you know i think we watched the uncut version at the time so it was like nc 17 it was like mm-hmm. very extreme and it's it's graphic and violence and all that stuff and lo and behold this is another movie he's made where there's an uncut version and even the the un or the cut version if you will the r-rated version it's still pretty extreme like there's the yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. uh it's obviously it's not for kiddies it is a movie for adults with adult themes and a lot of things going on but uh uh, I went in as blind as I possibly could. I just sort of trusted because I liked the director's previous film just to go in yeah. and just discover what it was to the point where I did not know what the science fiction element was Okay, coming into this.
1: All right. I mean, for me, I did pretty much the same, but I was trying my hardest to pitch this to my girlfriend of, hey, let's watch <laughs> this together. That was a mistake, mind <laughs> you. But um, did she I make it to didn't... the end? Did she watch all of it? No, she did not. Oh, okay. Um, but I managed to sell her at least giving it a shot on Alexander Skarsgård because she's got a she's got a major hotness for him. So oh. got there. But we watched the trailer just so much to see the inciting incident, and then I said, "Well, that's enough. Let's turn it off and not spoil the rest
0: of the movie." That's fair, that's fair. Uh, We will start spoiler-free, of course, as we always Mm -hmm. do. And I suspect for this one, so much of it, I I think, is spoilery that we probably won't do too much discussion before that point. Yeah,
1: it's going to be like basic character descriptions, and that's about
0: it. Yeah, basic character stuff, general feelings, and then we'll get into spoilers after that. Also, Mm -hmm. before we get into it, uh, there's going to be a little bonus segment at the end of the show uh, for the foreseeable future, because David, of course, is new to the Ace, Mm -hmm. and his science fiction movie watching is not as robust as as myself or indeed Tara's was uh, by the time she was done with the show. So uh, basically, David is going to go back and for each episode, he's going to do some homework and watch one of the movies that we've already done in the show on mm-hmm. the Ace uh, that he's not seen before. And at the end of the show, I'll just ask for his quick thoughts, and you know, he'll spend a couple of minutes just sort of giving a general spoiler free quick review on something that he hadn't seen. But the idea being is that when we get to countdowns and we get to things in the future, is that David will be caught up in... Because like, let's say we do top 70s movies again. The idea being that David, by that point, will have maybe watched most of the 70s movies that me and Tara did before, so... I'll somehow be able to speak intelligently about whatever it is I'm saying. <laughs> so we actually decided that... um we're going to do a countdown in the summer next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do a top 80s sci fi list. So you'll find that David's probably going to focus on movies from the 80s and the, mm-hmm. the Ace Back catalog. But he's got his first one ready. So we'll do that at the end of the show. That'll be like after we rate this movie, we'll we'll dip in and that'll be a regular feature for quite some, possibly 200 episodes because Mean yeah. Tower did 200 episodes or so. So uh, wishful thinking,
1: but we'll see how far we get. <laughs>
0: i have complete faith Mm. faith. and also if you don't know david uh he's new to the ace but he's not new to doing movie reviews we have a show called the collector's cut where we work through franchises and like director filmographies and things like that uh it's christmas season uh the time of posting this we're working through the Mm -hmm. home alone franchise over on that show so uh, it's on the same youtube channel or of course if you listen to the audio feed you can just go search for the collector's cut on your podcast app of choice and Mm. find it that way but We've got like 60 episodes of that in the back catalogue now, so go check yeah. that out. So You don't... have
1: your own homework to do.
0: Yeah, not me. I, I was no, there yeah, for the all audience. of both of these shows. Yes,
1: the audience has to do that, for anyone who hasn't been sticking around with me. You get to see my horrible, awful, no-good opinions on Fight Club.
0: <laughs> Most people will agree with you in Fight Club, though. I'm the one with the a weird opinion on fight club that's
1: why i'm directing them to that one
0: ah, okay okay they want, you want them to like you i see mm-hmm. i see that's okay i'll be the villain <laughs> so anyway yeah, infinity pool is what we're talking about so yes uh this is a psychological science fiction film it's got some horror elements it's intense and it is about a couple who are on vacation in a fictional country called latolka I had to double-check what that was because, you know, it's fictional. I'd literally never heard of it before this movie. Yeah. So they're there at this tourism resort, this sort of compound with a hotel and a pool and some restaurants, things like that. Uh, but this country has some pretty extreme rules and some pretty extreme uh, punishments for crimes, shall we say. Yeah. So the, the the movie's kind of about our main characters getting mixed up in that, and it leads down a path uh, which starts exploring some very very sort of big ideas and big topics it's got the two leads are alexander skarsgård mm-hmm. uh who is this writer who's basically written one book and is suffering from i don't even know if you could say it's writer's block per se it feels like he's given up <laughs> almost entirely saying, it's,
1: a, it's a writer's labyrinth yes a block implies that he's just about to get over it this is something <laughs> that's been going on for
0: years this is a writer who forgot how to spell, uh, yes. I guess. And then we have uh, his wife in the film, M, played by Cleopatra Coleman. But then the mm. other big main character is Mia Goth's character, uh, Gabby Bauer. So mm. uh, that's very much our, our main set of characters. There's some supporting cast as well, but that's the main characters that we're going to be dealing with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's very much a character study of a film. Uh, it's got it's very open to interpretation, I think, especially the ending. Uh, this is one of these movies where we're going to talk about what's literally happening and what it actually means and you know how, what parts of it might be literal and which parts may not be literal so we'll be getting into all that stuff uh, more so on the spoiler topics but uh, this is a good place to ask the question David hmm. what did you think of Infinity Pool
1: I don't have a lot of experience with Cronenberg either senior or junior here, but I liked it. I think it was a... It's it's less of a plot-based movie, in my opinion. There is obviously a through line, but it's more focused on the building of this feeling, this atmosphere of just sheer dread and terror over the course of it, where you never know what's going to be happening next. And I really mm. roped me in the whole way through. It was a very atmospheric movie. Um, I think if I had any little minor critique about it it would be the fact of it it kind of doesn't feel like the sci-fi element is really necessary towards what it's doing like obviously it is for the larger themes but in terms of the plot it never really justifies its own existence in a lot of ways and obviously i can't really share what it is without spoiling anything but it just it's so strange to me how it comes out of nowhere and it doesn't really play that big of a part in things, all things considered.
0: Uh, you'll have to debate that with, with me, I think, once okay. we get into it. <laughs> Fair enough. Not that I feel strongly in the opposite. I'm just not so sure I came out feeling like that either. So, uh, Oh, like
1: it's a very minor thing. It's yeah. not something that's like ruining the movie for me or anything. It's just something that I was thinking about during. Because I kept expecting it to be something more i kept expecting them to explore it more than they did
0: it's, it's very much a case of the sci-fi element is used to tell the story with the characters it's not really that interested in exploring the sci-fi element itself if that makes right. sense mm-hmm. uh but still very much important in actually you know provoking these characters with the situations that they find themselves in mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i obviously saw brandon cronenberg's previous film i've seen a reasonable number of David Cronenberg's films I think when I saw Possessor uh, one of my key talking points was that this is this must be the best case example of like a famous person like an artist of some kind their offspring growing up to do a similar type of thing as their parent and mm-hmm. kind of smashing it in a way where it feels like yeah you're kind of on par in fact arguably you might even be better in some ways and yeah. that's kind of wild because you know you think of any other famous like you know a kid of someone else who was you know will smith's kids or, or... i was literally about to say <laughs> yeah. jaden smith yeah like it's it's so it's so rare that the the kids uh ends up having you know and you know like i'm not saying they've all been failures around like that there's obviously no. been other success stories there's famous uh you know parent kid kind of pairings throughout hollywood <laughs> whether it be actors or or whatever but i think with with this uh I think what stuns me is that he's doing a very similar thing in that he's doing very provocative themes. He's t- he's tackling sexual ideas. He's tackling mm-hmm. deeply psychological ideas. But at the same time, I do think there's a distinct feeling that's different from his father's work. And his father even had a film out last year called Crimes of the Future, and that mm-hmm. felt very David Cronenberg. And I watched this, and I saw Possessor, and I went, okay, this, I can feel a link to, to to Daddy Cronenberg, but this feels like he's doing his own brand of Cronenberg. So, and a weird, he's having his cake and he's eating it too. He's kind of like almost cashing in on the expectations that the name Cronenberg gives people, but right. he's kind of carving out his own kind of flavor of it in a way that I don't think anyone's watching either this or Possessor and going, oh, he's just doing his dad stick," Because it doesn't feel that at all. Right. It it reminds me of the same sort of thing of...
1: um. Mel Brooks and Max Brooks where Max Brooks does a whole lot more of like writing stuff compared to his father doing the film but it's that using the name to get your foot in the door but then still being able to prove yourself as having something to really say. You really do have your own style to it.
0: Yeah. I and mean, hell, we got a garden in this. He's, he's one of many. <laughs> I mean, I think they're all really... I mean, they actually are. They know are. It, but... I,
1: I, I've triple checked on this because yeah. I simply cannot believe that many... Super famous people, man. She's come out of like two generations. Yeah, are they all Stellan's
0: uh sons? I believe so. Yeah, okay, she has like
1: eight children, I
0: think. Jeez. all right, all right, <laughs> good to know. Uh, and honestly, Alexander Skarsgård out of the sons might be the one I like the most
1: i i'd agree but it's also the one i have the most exposure to i think bill skarsgaard uh, obviously the it movies but yeah I've, I've seen alexander around more often
0: i i, th- I think bill Skarsgård, like, like i think he's fine in some things but i do think his pennywise and also his villain in john wick uh four or, like they left kind of mm. a you're a bit hammy yeah, you know, like yeah. I, I'm not saying that Alexander's always been great. He was in True Blood, after all, right? Not everyone has a perfect career, but <laughs> he, like he, you know, he's he's been good on enough things at this point that uh, he probably comes out on top. But n- none of them yeah. are getting universal praise from me. Make, let me make that clear. Uh, That's fair. So yeah, you got him. you got Mia Goth, who's becoming something of a. Uh, a sort of indie darling scream queen in a weird way, because th- this movie is somewhat of a horror movie, although we're doing it on the sci-fi show because it is very much science fiction. And I think right. the way it brings up its ideas and talks about them feels a bit more sci-fi skewing to me, uh, even though it is very intense and does have some, you know, horrific ideas sort of sprinkled mm-hmm. in there. Um, Mia Goth was an ex. She, she, she kind of like, not the same character, but she was also in Peril, which was connected to it. And then she's coming back for a third movie in that series, Maxine. Uh, coming okay. up in the next uh, year or two so uh, she's kind of building her indie cult status as as a, as an actor over these past few years so
1: yeah she has a very i mean it's it's very easy to point out to either very thin or non-existent eyebrows and it just gives her this different look from like any other female actress you're seeing in hollywood nowadays
0: yeah and i'll be honest i don't think i realized she was english uh because she's done various american accents and mm those other movies that I've seen her in. Honestly, I, I
1: couldn't have told you if this was an accent or not in well, terms of natural.
0: It sounds like... I mean, it's a very good accent. It may not be exactly her natural accent. You know, this could be her, you know, putting it on a bit more extreme or going for a slightly mm-hmm. different dialect. But, uh, you know, if it, 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 it sounded pretty authentic. Like, there was... It, it's almost like this weird thing when it comes to accents like that where it's sounding... That was the best way of putting this? There's certain words that come out sounding kind of weird, but that almost just lets you know it's more authentic because it's like it's not someone doing this perfect what they think that accent is the whole time mm. It's someone who actually is kind of slipping sort of naturally a little bit right. at times well i've I've got her childhood history
1: here on wikipedia it's actually incredible that she has any sort of accent so when she was a few weeks old she moved to brazil because her mother is brazilian okay When she was five she moved back to the uk and then when she was 10 she moved to canada so she's been <laughs> all around the world
0: i mean i guess it makes sense five to ten for developing your accent sounds like mm-hmm. a very influential t- but then again you're starting to learn to talk before that so maybe right. that would just lead you to so maybe this is
1: what a british brazilian accent sounds like
0: yeah, maybe that's why there's a little bit of weirdness to it, is because there's a bit of a mixed-in quality to it. but mm-hmm. uh, Or maybe that's just made it very easy for her to slip around accents because she's yeah, grown up true. with so many that she's just kind of able to dance around them very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so... No, I mean, I like the movie. I, I never really got around to saying that. But oh, I, good. it's it's, it's good. Like I say, it's very cerebral. I, I don't know if I like it quite as much as Possessor, based on our initial viewing. And I've only seen both ones, so I, you know I'd have to okay. maybe watch them again and compare and all that. But i think from the get-go it's very well directed it draws you in you know it starts off a little artsy with some sort of over-the-top shots just to kind of pull you into the movie and mm-hmm. then it sets up what it's doing it's it gets you into the head of the character it gets you into the head of like his temptations what what's appealing to him in the moment and things like that and then kind of starts to flip things on its head with a sci-fi concept and makes you feel mixed about it because and intentionally so it's like this is a very weird circumstance to be feeling something about and then you know so and then i think it very neatly transitions into like being a very analytical film where you're thinking about okay what is this saying about people in society and all these kind of things oh
1: yeah no this obviously we can't get too much into it but just everyone at this resort is obviously very wealthy in their own Mm -hmm. ways and it has a lot to say about wealthy people in society by the time the movie is done.
0: yeah. Although, notably, uh, James, our main character, Skarsgård's character, who I'll just mm-hmm. refer to as James from now on, uh, he is only wealthy by marriage. He's actually poor in terms of his history, but he just happens to have married into wealth. Right. So he's kind of this slightly different character, or at least has a different perspective on the wealth in a way that mm-hmm. maybe makes him feel like he might be an outsider to, uh, of a sort. So uh, that's something to keep in mind uh, as we go through it as well. But uh, yeah, but you know, everything about it—it's it's very hypnotic at times. It's uh, the music is very kind of suggestive without ever being kind of, You know, there's it's not like those big main themes that you remember coming out of it. It's more textual. You know, it's it's yeah, all it, these kind of things.
1: There's a lot of sequences where it feels just more trying to put you into a trance sort of thing, getting you to feel this emotional feeling rather than. No, let's focus on the main theme for these, you know,
0: motifs or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, honestly, I don't know how much more I've got to say other than just uh I think the performances from the leads are are all very good.
1: Yeah. Uh, um the only other person that jumped out of me cuz he kind of he he only pops up once we get to the um reveal of what makes this sci-fi, but mm. the detective character, Thresh. Thresh, yes, played by Thomas Kretschmann. Uh, He's been in a lot of stuff. I recognize
0: his face, actually. What's he been in?
1: Uh, You would know him because he's in the Resident Evil Apocalypse movie, which I know you enjoy.
0: (laughs) Um, There's a bunch of other stuff he's
1: in. Uh, Wanted, that 2008 Assassin movie. Um, Dracula 3D. You've
0: not said anything good yet. You've said nothing but bad movies so far.
1: I'm just looking at things that I think you would have seen. He was in TV show Westworld as Gerald. I can't remember
0: his character exactly. Uh, maybe I maybe I'm remembering from that. He I, was, I, uh, one
1: one we both saw. He was in. He was Colonel Webber in Dial of Destiny Indiana Jones.
0: Again, can't remember him. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. I, I think I think I'm I'm getting a a hazy. What I, was, I,
1: I, I only bring him up because I think he was introduced in this movie slightly later than. Other... He was
0: he was the scientist on the train. Right. And then Daniel Jones. O-
1: His other big things here I just saw was um, Baron Von Strucker from the Marvel Cinematic ah, Universe. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember that. Um, yeah.
1: But no, I think that he was a late introduction into the cast here, but I think he's super interesting as a character, especially the way they play him, because obviously without getting too much into it, he takes advantage of these wealthy people while also... Still representing this country of Litoka and it's it's just this strange little line that I think he manages to play very well. Mm.
0: Yeah, he's a very intriguing character when he shows up because like, you you really have no idea where it's going, and everyone's very scared in the moment. And it's like, what's he going to do? And then right. obviously he sets us down the path of what the movie's going to be because of what he introduces. So there's a, there's a lot there to sort of take from that character. So he's just he's inherently. And this is not to dis- like say the, ca- the actor didn't do a good job, he did, but like, mm-hmm. like he almost, like, half the job's already done, which is to how interesting right. that character is in terms of what he's introducing to the film. Anyway, yep. so I-, I guess we'll give the spoiler warning for Infinity Pool uh, from, right. from this point on, and um, we'll get into it, and, oh, uh, David, have you ever been aroused at the thought of killing a clone of yourself? Has that ever been something you've uh, enjoyed? I mean, that's literally every day of
1: my life. Wake up, roll out of bed, say, boy, if only I could just beat the ever-loving piss out of myself, and then just watch it happen.
0: Yeah, okay, so just to talk about the the, the broad concept of what's happening in this country before we get into the character specifics, is that everything here is very illegal right everything here is punishable by death basically uh, mm. obviously in the movie it's uh, accidental murder that, 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 that spurns this but it sounds like a lot of other things will get the death penalty as well it's what
1: isn't that a sequence from like parks and rec or something where it's like every single little thing you could do it's like you do this death you do that death this thing believe it or not death
0: uh, sounds familiar yeah. Sounds familiar uh but they introduce this idea that they've got this, this rule because they're because the tourism is so good here, right? And they make a lot of money off tourists. And it's been hinted at various points in the movie that outside the compound, which has got this big barbed wire, like, you know, security guardy gate, you don't leave the compound because there's a lot of crime here because it's a very poor country, except all the tourists that come in and spend a lot of money. And apparently they've got a law to try and protect the tourists who get up to something bad while they're here is that if they can pay for it, they'll make a duplicate. And the duplicate, by law, has to have the memories of the original person. But mm-hmm. the duplicate can be killed in your place. So we get this entire thing that's introduced, which is he witnesses a clone of himself be killed by the son of the person he accidentally ran over. And his reaction is a little interesting because he kind of smiles. It's just like he he enjoyed it a little bit mm-hmm. but it basically gets us to this idea that mia goth's character gabby and all of her friends that she's there with uh, and when i say friends you know most she's actually the youngest one a lot of them they're more like middle aged to upper middle age kind of couples and things like that but right. they are basically there and they've all somehow stumbled into this situation before uh, one particular incident got a lot of them uh, executed but they all got cloned and watched their right. clones die and mm-hmm. it's basically this play on the idea that if you take away the consequences for your actions, who would you become? And these people are all going—you know—they're going into you know, the deep end of like what they'll do now because they know they can just pay to get away with anything by having a clone killed instead. Boy,
1: look at that social commentary.
0: <laughs> I mean, obviously, this neatly feeds into the idea that. Every time you do something bad, you're killing a little part of your soul. In this Mm -hmm. case, it's literally you're killing another version of yourself. Uh, We'll talk about all that. I saw one quote online that said, it's basically a high art version of The Purge, that they can come here and get all this out of their system (laughs) and go back to their normal life. It
1: kept reminding me of some movie, and I I kept coming back to The Purge over and over again, but I felt like there was some other thing I was forgetting. But yeah, it is basically just purge
0: but they're nothing alike in terms of plot in terms of how the no. movie plays out It it's just an, one conceptual idea uh, with the characters that you can kind of link between them
1: it is the core criticism of I mean, not every purge movie obviously deals with this but this idea of you've got this rich and powerful wealthy class who is just without consequence and able to do whatever they feel like to because they can just pay their way out of it and obviously there's a lot of real world in that There is a lot of real world in that. Yep. And it's obviously the criticism is the thing that strings those two movies together. So, I mean, I, I really liked it. I think it did a great job of analyzing it. What I was saying at the beginning, though, is that because it's more focused on this idea of the social commentary, of being able to just buy your way out of consequences, the ideas that having a clone of yourself can really bring up i don't think are really explored much at all they they have one or two throwaway lines of like oh are you sure they killed the right one but it's not really delved into as much as the idea of the lack of consequences and what that does to you instead
0: Yeah, I don't really think that's a critique, though. I think that's just acknowledging what the movie was about and what it was focusing on. Like, you know, clearly this movie was not interested in doing the sci-fi side of, like, okay, cloning exists, what's all the implications of that? This Mm. movie is more about saying, okay, we're going to use that to provoke how a person looks at themselves, and ultimately, eventually, you know, Skarsgård is going to come up against a clone of himself. He's going to literally have to kill himself, Mm. And be born again, if you will, or or kill the, the good part of himself, if you might put it that way. You, know, we, we, you could probably phrase it a hundred different ways. Oh, yeah. But it's more interested in exploring that kind of thing. Because, you know, to get into the character, go back to the start of the movie now and work through it now so mm. I've got the the basic overall concept established. Right. Is, you know, the movie opens and it opens on on black is just a dark screen and we hear just some mumbled i actually turned on the subtitles because i couldn't hear the goddamn thing that they were saying and it's it's not a surprise i didn't understand it because it was such a weird phrase he Mm. says something like uh how was it you can't ingest the the white worm brain or there was something like that it
1: was some complete nonsense phrase but yeah i i have subtitles on by default just because you know i've got a busy house there's things running around but I thought something was wrong with my TV because it is a solid, like, two minutes of just nothing on screen. It's just people talking <laughs> in
0: a dark room. No, I mean, I I got what it was doing, the, the quiet opening, it was doing mm. this kind of... It, it, it sets up this idea that, that James and his wife, Em, um, are not in a great place, right? Things are kind of awkward. They're kind of, you know, because we hear him kind of try to initiate sex and she's like, nah, let's just go get breakfast and kind of... Mm. You know, rejects is maybe a strong word, but it kind of shuts down the the you know the attempt to initiate in sex, and mm-hmm. then the curtains open. You finally see them, and it's like they're sitting at the breakfast. They're talking about what to do for the day. Um, and it's very stilted. It's very much oh, there's not a lot of chemistry here. It feels like they don't want to do the same thing. And not only that, it feels like he is he especially is not committing to anything. She's saying, "Hey, we should try this. We should do that." He's very mm-hmm. detached. And it's setting up this character who is maybe a little dead inside, and why maybe some of the extreme pleasures that are you know dangled in front of him in this movie are going to be appealing yeah. uh but it's it's it sets all that stuff up and that's not to gloss over all the crazy camera shots when they're coming out of the hotel, and there's like all these like upside down shots and
1: oh it is so just. It, it it almost made me sick for a minute there because I was trying to follow along with it. I was like tilting my head and I was like,
0: nope, not good. Yeah. And there's a little bit as, as well just before they start talking where it's like the concierge or whoever it is at the hotels uh, announcing some stuff that's coming up festival-wise and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of employees wearing these masks that are very horrific looking. They're very sort of monstrous in various ways. Yeah, And obviously these come up later and again, the, the idea here is that when all of the people who they actually they only do this in one scene but they refer to themselves as zombies this idea that they've seen themselves die and are still alive so they're kind of a play on that word uh but it's this idea that this is their zombie face this is or, or arguably it's their true self you know this right. is who they really are is these awful people kind of thing
1: the person but, below the mask is not the real thing it's the yeah. mask that's
0: taken over it's kind of like batman but much less nice (laughs) yes (laughs) but it's uh you know i'm bringing it up now because obviously they they introduced the masks here they sort of make it a point of saying hey this is like a cultural thing here is these these weird masks Mm uh but you know it sets up all these characters and uh, the wife ends up going away herself for the day and james is just on his own sauntering around the hotel and he bumps in to gabby Played by Mia Goth, and she's immediately kind of, you know, you get flirty vibes from her. She's very sort of in awe of them. Um, notably, I think they bump into each other when there's like a sort of, not a ritual, but there's like police chasing like some guy who's trying there's to a, like protest the tourists. Yeah, there's or something. a
1: local who's just dirt biking around on the beach, kicking up sand in protest of the tourists. Quite literally, James and Gabby and their ilk, because they are ruining
0: the island more or less yeah and she's like oh hey i read your book and this is actually where we find out he's a writer Uh mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't know that until she says that and he's like oh really you read my book and you get the impression that it didn't do very well not a lot of people read it so he's <laughs> really you read my book no wait, one read my book wait you're an attractive young woman who's smelling at me and you're saying you like my book oh oh By the way, this
1: is a fake wedding ring.
0: I just let me throw
1: this away real quick.
0: Oh, I think it's very clear as this movie goes on that she does not care that he's married. No, not at all. So, um, but the wife is back later that day. And it's it's, it's actually kind of a little uh, funny ironic cut because when they were talking earlier at breakfast, the wife said, hey, why don't we try the Chinese restaurant this year? Mm-hmm. And he just kind of shuts it down. He doesn't want to do it. And then he's talking to Gabby here, and she's like, hey, why don't you come with uh, me and my friend for, for dinner tonight at the, the Chinese place? And it cuts when he's about to make his decision to them all sitting at the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, hmm, you shot down that idea when your wife said it, but you were gun ho when this woman said it. This is well, my wife
1: didn't read my book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume she did, but she must have. I mean, she may have read the back, maybe the she, first few chapters. Maybe she pretended to read it, but she definitely yeah. put in the effort to sh- uh, to make the illusion that she had read it, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting, though, because later on in the movie, when uh, Gabby says that she never read his book, you know, she's like, I was lying about that, you idiot. Um, yeah. It's like, what so not once in the, like, the several days by that point in the movie that you've been hanging out and whatnot. You never asked a single question about what she thought of anything in the book to reveal that she didn't know anything about it. She she didn't want to.
1: He didn't want to ruin the illusion. <laughs> he didn't want to ask her like, "What did you like about it?" And she said like, "Oh, I really like this interpretation. That's clearly wrong." And he's like, "Oh, you didn't. You didn't get any of my deeper well, meanings."
0: I actually no. I think it's a serious point to to bring up because I think it's showing just how like up his own ass he is. He never even questions it. He just accepts oh, yeah. it as fact. As soon as she says, I'm a fan of your work, I loved your book, he's just happy to reap the rewards. He hasn't even stopped to think that that has to be bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, which I guess ties into his character, because he's this character who, as, as is pointed out soon, he married into wealth, he's not actually rich, and he's not written anything in six years, so he's just mm-hmm. living off his rich wife. Uh, and then currently. not only that, the uh,
1: the father-in-law is actually like, as, at least in the way I understood it, he was the one who actually published the book. So it mm-hmm. wasn't even like he went out and got it published. It was just
0: nepotism that got him there. Yeah, and his father in law hates him, maybe because he's mm-hmm. book-flopped. <laughs> yeah, it cost me a 100,000 grand, kid. <laughs> but it's almost like he's, you know, got into this life, he snuck into it when he's not supposed to be here, but still has these delusions of grandeur in a mm. weird way not in a way that he's outwardly an asshole to everyone and acts like he, he deserves to be treated better than everyone else but no. deep down he thinks he should and when he's offered that appreciation he takes it without even thinking about it you know he just
1: yeah it's the ego it. he 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 wants to have this inflated ego he wants to be seen as bigger than he is
0: I, you know i love that you brought up the word ego because when i was doing a quick uh search to see what people were saying about this movie Mm-hmm. um one of the first like sort of analysis things that popped up was the idea that he represents the ego and that gabby represents the ed and mm-hmm. that the wife is therefore the super ego um All right.
1: i, <laughs> I actually I
0: which has given me flashbacks to talking about stalker which is a movie that we'll do on the ace one day but i've talked about it before with connor and it's um okay. a movie where the three characters very much represent those three things not that okay. i'm claiming to be some sort of psychology major who you know, can actually dissect those three things properly. But I kind of get I mean, it. In, in layman's yeah. terms, I get it.
1: I was going to say, there's there's the actual diving into it, and then there's critique on the internet levels, and I think we can speak at that level.
0: Yes, yes. We we can acknowledge that it's doing something with those ideas. Uh, yeah. And certainly the idea that Gabby's the Ed, and the is obviously the part oh, yeah. of the brain that wants things, and all she is is this, you know, the seductive... Immediate emotional yeah. gratification. So, yeah, they're, they're to get to, out together, together they, they're getting on. The, the small talk, for the most part, is kind of awkward. It's, it's extremely awkward, but I especially
1: because they bring up the point of, hey, when's your next book coming out? And he <laughs> has to explain, oh, I'm a fraud. I suck at what I do. Mm. But yeah. I, then I, my, one of my favorite parts that really just took me for a loop here is Gabby explaining what her job is. And I don't even know if she's telling the truth. As we find out later, but I appreciate the fact she put on the act of her job is essentially being the person in the infomercial who fails at using the product like before the new solution comes in.
0: Yeah. So, it's the example she gives at the table, she tries to cut a roll and mm-hmm. she just keeps slipping with a knife. So, this is, I can't do it. It's just so hard. It's impossible. Who could cut a roll with a knife? I need the new super cutter. Yeah. Uh, but even this, like, is a is a foreshadowing because what mm. she's doing here is she's playing up this product. So if you, if you think of of James himself as the product, as the mm. the thing she's there to help sell, she's you know downplaying the thing that you know the thing you could have instead and saying, no, no, you need this better thing. So it's actually it is actually kind of foreshadowing her abilities of deception, I guess, uh, yeah. amongst other things. So. Of showing
1: uh, yeah. how the showing how the old thing just will not work anymore you need yeah. the new thing to come in
0: so i mean it's, it, i think that's part of the reason why it's such a good dense movie is that like every scene is it's it's giving you something that mm-hmm. even if you don't know why it's important yet like everything is is giving you something about a character about the themes or, or, or whatever it is and that's why mm-hmm. it is a very fulfilling film uh, regardless of maybe you know your taste and like you know, maybe you don't like this as certain other types of science fiction or whatever, but you can't necessarily just say, "Oh, it's just a dumb movie that's just being perverse oh, yeah. for the sake of it." Like, there's definitely no. smart things going on constantly. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, the the next day, uh, apparently, you know, Gabby and her, uh, and I guess he's her husband, but uh, they never really get into it too much.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, at the very least, they are in a relationship. Whether that be engaged husband, just dating, they are yeah. together.
0: Uh, it's a Swiss man named Alban who, again, he's a bit of a sweet talker. He, you know, he keeps very soft accent. He keeps being very pleasant with everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've apparently roped in our main couple to go outside the gate the next day, and this is something that the M, the wife, is kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like they tell us to not leave the compound. It's very dangerous out there, yeah. and. James is like, well, you know, we came here for inspiration for me to write. Like, maybe an experience, maybe a little mugging would would do us some good.
1: I mean, and literally shuts down everything. And just being like, I know it's because they are literally your fan club. And you just want to <laughs> hang out with them more. We don't have to pretend it's this whole other thing.
0: And to be fair, he doesn't deny that. Like, she yeah. says, this is your fan club. And he's like, well, they had to exist somewhere. Here we are. Let's go and hang out. So... Yep they rent a car from a guard you know kind of you know on the, the low down they're not they're not meant to be doing this mm-hmm. and they drive out to this beach somewhere that these two know about and they just hang out and drink and barbecue and whatever but there's a very specific moment early on where james looks over and mia goth's character is just sitting there and it's almost like like is she looking at him through the sunglasses you can not quite tell but it's very seductive mm-hmm. it's almost like you know he's he's, he's the temptations kind of spring even it's kind of unspoken thing it's not like he's actually going to try anything or make a move or anything but Mm -hmm. the idea is is that even before she does make a move in a minute i think you know he's already like attracted to her he already wants her he's already oh yeah like feeling like his ego is pumped up because this young attractive woman is is praising him is complimenting him and then you know on top of that it's mia goth so he's he's very happy right (laughs) um so all, all this is very, and it all sort of, I want not quite say culminates, although there's definitely a culmination in the scene I'm about to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he goes for a piss. James goes to piss, you know, somewhere behind some bushes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when he's done, Gabby just kind of sneaks up behind him and does the old reach around and just starts jerking him off. And. Yeah it's very much close-ups on both their faces at various points and there's enough motion you can tell exactly what she's doing and it's all very kind of like spur of the moment intimate you can tell that he's like excited but obviously it's a very kind of confused thing and Mm -hmm. then the movie just to shock you into reality does some quick shots of the penis right it just goes in for some close-ups well, I got that the jigger. I was going
1: to say this is a difference with the uncut version. Oh. I watched. I watched the uh, R-rated version, and we did not get the penis.
0: What, what did you get? Did it cut to something else, or did it
1: just? Um, we got a bunch of shots of his face in being reacting to that. More shots of Gabby doing the motion, and then we got the result of her action dripping onto the ground.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The dripping was st- so. Because I know there's some alternate shots between the different cuts. It's not necessarily, mm-hmm. it's just gone. Like, you know, the timing's still kept because they put right. in something else instead. It's probably just another close-up of some faces. But probably, yeah. In this case. Uh, oh, if you didn't get that, then there's, a, there's at least something I know you didn't get later on. And I'm, Oh, I'm sure. I'm I know excited. exactly what scene you're talking I'm about. I'm excited to talk about that now. <laughs> um, it's worth mentioning the close-up on the penis in the uncut version. Like, I mean, for one thing, it's anyone's penis. It could be, like, it's not necessarily the actors because it's this tight mm-hmm. close-up um but it like i, I cuz i wasn't sure which version i was watching and then i saw like this and like some stuff coming out and i went i must be watching the uncut there's no way that's yeah. in the rated cut this is far too graphic oh dear
1: i love your cuz descri- i didn't know what the differences were and i looked in the trivia about how uh, the distribution company fought to get it from an NC 17 to an R rating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, how much really could have been added if they thought they could have gotten an R rating? <laughs> and you're telling
0: me that's in there? Good luck, guys. Ah, uh, yeah. It, the shot of it dripping, you know, like the leaves in the bottom, though, like on the ground, is just like. It's, it's this thing where it's like far more. It's far more in-your-face and visual than most movies will ever show this, but at okay. the same time, it still kind of felt artistic because it was slow motion hitting the leaves. It was slow motion? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got the dripping right. out of the leaves, did you not? Yeah, but it was like normal speed. They didn't slow it down or anything. Maybe it wasn't slow motion. Maybe it was in my head, time slowed down as it was It was hitting. You just really wanted to stay in that shot as long as possible, happy <laughs> huh, Well, no, But I think what's so interesting about this scene is that she never says anything to him. She never hmm. says a word, he never says it in back, and she just goes away after she's done it. And I think yep. because the movie opened with him trying to start sex with his wife, and his wife just kind of, not even saying no, just kind of like, oh, oh, let's go get breakfast. Like, she's almost just ignored him and, like, continued Just the on. redirection. Yeah. Uh, this idea that she immediately came in, and without even prompting, satisfied that need instantly mm-hmm. to, to be this, like, why he's more tempted by her than his wife. Uh, as the movie goes on. Like, you totally get it. And the idea, obviously, is introduced later that she's just straight-up manipulating him the whole time. It's like, yeah, yeah, like this feels like... What's a way to get a man obsessed with you? Well, this this probably would do it uh, for most. It
1: keeps coming back to the idea of immediate gratification of whatever it is you want. Mm. And while she clearly, by the end of the movie, I don't think was really gratifying her own needs in that moment, it's not like she wanted to do that, but she's showing him how good it can feel to just do whatever you want like that.
0: Yeah, I'm conflicted, honestly, as to whether, like, what her desires are for, like, most, I mean, obviously, I know they change mm-hmm. at one point, but I'm not convinced it was just this master plan to get to that point beforehand. Or Obviously, okay. no, she enjoyed every part of this process. Like, all of it was part of the fun. Uh, I think
1: she enjoyed watching him change, but I don't think she had any real attraction to him as a person.
0: We'll talk about it when we get to the end, because uh, like, right. d- I think there's some... <sighs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, I-, I think it's more complicated than that, <laughs> mm-hmm. I-, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, this whole movie's more
1: complicated than that, but yes, I, g- I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah, so they're driving back, and uh, what's his face? Alban says he's too drunk, so James offers to drive, and the mm-hmm. rest all pretty much go to sleep, and he's driving, but the headlights are sort of flickering in and out, and he ends up hitting someone.
1: So the headlights thing that's based off of what later characters say that was just happening that wasn't even like a planned thing that wasn't anything that anyone was trying to mess him with they just weren't working
0: properly right yeah um even though they wanted to get him in trouble so you'd have to go through the doubling process uh, mm-hmm. where they create the clone to be executed that wasn't what their plan was like she points out later like oh you're just so much of a screw up that you got someone killed by accident and that's not what we were building up to at all so because yeah. uh, well, that's the thing they make it clear beforehand or later at least that you don't need to murder someone here to get a death sentence there's, there's other things you can do that will yeah. get a death sentence but you know he has this guy and one of the things that really stuck out from Poss- possessor was the way brandon fornerberg shoots violence and like the prosthetics and the makeup mm. it's actually kind of disturbing violence so it's he, he makes violence feel scary because you're so used to in movies you know action movies people been blown up or limbs blown off
1: you get the squibs and then they go and then just like
0: fall down horror movies you're used to stabbings and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. but the way he does it right you know i i can watch something that's like ultra like drawn out and brutal like a terrifier movie but then Mm -hmm. i watched this and there's just something about the way like you get a quick shot of this like you know this this victim's face that's been hit with the car and his head's kind of caved in and it it feels genuinely disturbing like oh no I feel the horror of what he's just done, and why he's yeah. so scared now. It, it, like, I feel, I feel like Brandon Cronenberg is one of the the best I've seen as a director of actually making violence feel as horrific as it should actually feel. Because movies mm-hmm. are very good at desensitizing to all that stuff.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But they go back to the hotel. They they beg to get back in, and they're let in. And it's the next day that the police show up take in james and his wife to the police station and they talked them out of phone the police the night before by saying oh the police are so corrupt here that they will literally rape you before they do whatever else they want with you uh, Mm -hmm. in the station so they're very scared when they're being taken out of the police station here i mean in hindsight i think you can say oh she's probably just saying that so that they're they're going to be in they'll actually get in trouble for this because now they've done a hit and run if they called it in maybe it wouldn't be such a harsh punishment because whatever you know um, yeah, they they could
1: say, oh, okay, it was an accident. You didn't mean to do this, and you are taking the system into account here. Yes, you, yeah. You have done what's your duty as a citizen.
0: So when they get separated at the police station, like you get the fear. You're like, oh, God, where's the wave going? Like, mm-hmm. th- th- this is really bad. And this is where we're introduced to, to Thresh, the detective who comes in, and he's very matter-of-fact. And he even plays with the themes here again, because he says, hey, the guy that rented you the car was my uncle. And he'll be in big trouble if that goes on the record. So are you okay with saying that you didn't rent it for my uncle when I asked you in a minute? And Mm -hmm. James is like, well, does that affect what's going to happen to me? He's like, no, but I would appreciate it. And he's like, well, okay then. No, your uncle did not rent us the car. And again, it's just this little slither of the idea that even this cop is using his position to let someone get away with something. Obviously, it's much more minor than what these rich assholes are doing in the movie, but it's... Just a, a example of someone getting away with something with no consequences because that's a that's yep. the that's the main theme of the movie There's no denying that's what oh, the yeah. main thing is absolutely so i
1: yeah. I actually i mean we we'll get to it much later on, especially when um Gabby is calling out the review that was left on his book mm-hmm. but i I honestly wonder how much especially with the character of Thresh is this concept of nepotism as well. Of, oh you sure know, yeah yeah you know yeah somebody. and obviously brandon cronenberg growing up as the junior cronenberg knows a lot about being
0: accused of nepotism of being told like you know you only got this because of your father he probably yeah has had to live with that for a lot of his career yeah. and maybe now that he's got two prestigious films that got standing ovations, maybe, maybe <laughs> now he's starting to, he's probably satisfying yeah. that part of him a little bit more. But you're right, he's probably grown up feeling that. He, he has to work extra hard to prove that it's not just because he's my daddy and what does he mm-hmm. do, you know? <laughs> I I especially, like, someone pointed out, because I was,
1: you know, looking around at trivia and stuff like that, he's pretty much every time that Brandon Cronenberg is brought up for any articles, even promoting this movie, it's almost always Brandon Cronenberg, parentheses, son of David <laughs> Cronenberg, and parentheses. And it's that sort of thing of how do you get out of that? How do you manage to escape that idea of you're only as good as like this other person that you're linked to? Yeah. I and mean, I think I th- that's a big part of James as well.
0: Yeah. I think um, yeah, that's true cause with his wife and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I I think a big part of it was uh, Cronenberg, specifically the name, is that Cronenberg's such a unique, memorable name. Like, don't get me wrong. I think any director or actor as a kid who then becomes a director or actor, yeah, the articles will put, yeah, yes, he is related to so-and-so. You know, they'll mention Mm -hmm. it, right? But I think because the name Cronenberg, like, it it, it conjures a very specific type of movie. It conjures a very specific type of, like, artistry. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, uh there is this and that's kind of what i was talking about at the start of the show was this idea of him living up and somehow do- carving out his own feeling whilst also somehow still feeling like he belo- He still feels like the offspring of david cronenberg in a lot of right. ways yeah Uh, so it's very interesting which almost like implies to me that because he could have done like romantic comedies he could have like done stuff to try and be as different as he could from his father if mm-hmm. anything to me the types of movies that he's making saying that you know what you know what i get what my dad was doing and i I embrace it. I embrace that I am part of this lineage, but I'm also going to prove that this is not nepotism. I'm going to prove that I can do this and I'm going to prove right. that you assholes will never doubt me. <laughs> and who knows? I've never heard of I've never even heard an interview with a guy. He might he may just love the fact that he's David Cronenberg's son. He might laugh it up every time it's brought up. He's like, Yeah I'm Cronenberg I mean, the second baby. <laughs>
1: yeah, entirely possible. But it is it is something where it's 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 One of those things where you see sometimes celebrities take on like a different name, for instance, the biggest one that comes to mind is Nicolas Cage, not yeah. playing on his Coppola background. Um, but yeah, he's he's he knows he's Brandon Cronenberg. I'd imagine that he understands that that does come with some weight and he's able to use that a little bit, so
0: yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's I, I, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to bring up because, yeah, like you said, there's two examples of nepotism in this movie, mm-hmm. and that's you know very much worth uh talking about so yeah obviously he agrees to sign the thing to get cl- obviously he doesn't really understand what he's saying to him this is clearly not something that the rest of the world knows much oh, yeah. about
1: <laughs> like and this not to, not to mention this island has their own writing system as well so mm. when you see the contract or papery signing it's just complete nonsense it's, yeah, it's gibberish.
0: yeah you can't read anything so yeah. but for this guy it's just like a oh, this is just you know Another, another day another job here just you know you pay for this and you get a clone he'll die instead blah 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 mm-hmm. uh so we get to see part of this process not all of it but we get to see part of it which is you know he gets like dressed down or stripped down i should say uh mm-hmm. they're taking measures they put this weird like mouth thing in to keep his mouth wide open yeah. uh, and a shower cap and they send them into this gooey pool um possibly the titular infinity pool
1: <laughs> uh, I mean uh, there also was an actual infinity pool at the hotel well, So we
0: never see it though we only hear about the infinity pool I think we see it, I no, feel like the, we see it. No, the one they bring up though they talk about this one that's going in a different building because it's the, what's the Al- Albin was like developing this other resort like down the beach mm. and there were, it was the infinity pool there that collapsed or something and killed a guy and oh, him okay. and every, all of his rich friends all get blamed for it and that's how they all got you know quote-unquote executed
1: fair enough i mean there were definitely pools in the visuals of the hotel but maybe they weren't actual infinity pools what
0: is infinity pool a real term i don't know what an infinity yeah. pool is so
1: an infinity pool is basically it's a pool that it's filled up perfectly to the brim and it's built so that you can't see any of the edges of it okay so that way it looks like it stretches on like forever right, into okay. the
0: distance i always talk I've, I've seen them i just didn't know mm-hmm. that's what they were called yeah, but I'm going to guess that the title's meant to be more uh, double oh, meaning yeah. than that than just literal oh, yeah. an infinity pool. Uh, no I was doubt. just cracking a joke about the the pool of goo that he was in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it just sort of cuts away. Like he's in there and you sort of the the music ramps up and it cuts away and he wakes up. Actually, no, there's a couple of quick flashes. He, he, he hallucinates uh, Gabby. Mm. He sees Gabby dancing naked in front of him.
1: Yeah, it's it's just the first... We get this same kind of sequence later on, but it's a very sort of... I, I don't want to say the word trippy because it sounds too basic, but that's what it is. It's a very much feeling like he's been injected yeah. with some sort of hallucinogens, and he doesn't know what's real right now.
0: Yeah, I think this is the movie telling us that that drug that Gabby gives him later, that she says this is something the locals use and it's considered mm-hmm. religious i think this is telling us that there's some of that and whatever they're doing to him here because he's getting a very similar visual effect in terms yeah, of what powerful. he's looking at mm-hmm. uh, and it's showing him what he desires right now and it's not his wife he's desiring he's desiring her yep so he wakes up and the, his wife's there and like oh it's okay and i was wondering like is she getting cloned as well but it's just him i assume because he was driving he's the one that's being sort yeah. of propped up for this crime and they're like, yeah, the oldest son of the man you killed is going to kill your clone. And no, you guys have to be there. I'm sorry. That's the rules. You need to be there. And they see the clone. They have him looking like a sort of like wet body bag thing that he's sort of mm-hmm. been birded into. And he wakes up, and it obviously freaks them out, and they run out. But we get this scene where they're sitting in the stack. And I, I, this was a great little detail, is that so James and uh, M, the wife, are sitting in these stands watching this execution about to take place, and mm. the people in front of them, but just like with one row between them, is like all of this man's family. It's like all yeah. his, his wife and his like daughters or whoever. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like to me, this was almost the most trippy part of this whole watching your own execution. Was the idea that he's in the stands with the loved ones of the person that died that he caused the death of? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I do think it is his fault, because I'm not convinced he was sober enough to drive, quite frankly. I think when he said, yeah, I can drive, like, he's saying that. I'm not sure if I completely believe him in the moment.
1: I mean, regardless of whether or not he was, he was at least distracted the whole way through. It was his fault. It wasn't like something else happened that it wasn't on him squarely. It was all
0: Yeah. And after all, what's the most common thing that happens to like, rich assholes, DUIs. (laughs) So the idea of, like, mapping that in here a little bit makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean,
1: especially if you take this to the full thing of they are able to pay their way out of this and the clone just represents however much money has to be spent to Mm -hmm. get out of it, whatever fine is placed. It is quite literally the same as them sitting across from each other in a court, this family who has lost everything and this rich prick, and it's just him looking over being like, yeah, I did it here's some money. Yeah. Hope that makes it okay.
0: Yeah. But of course, the interesting thing is, is that once this kid starts stabbing his clone, right? Mm-hmm. And he stabs him a lot. It's not just like one or two stabs. He stabs him a good number oh, yeah. of times. It's brutal. Um, Maybe, maybe even more in my cut. Co- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you counted. I didn't count, but it wouldn't surprise it was... me. It, this is one of these stupid things with the MPA, though. It's like, wait, no, 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 no. You can have nine stabs. You can have seven. Seven's okay for our race, but nine's too many. Look,
1: Floris over here she gets real woozy if you do eight stabs <laughs> so seven's okay but after that we have to call it
0: but of course james smiles mm-hmm. a little bit at the end of the scene um and one of the things you know when they go back to their the, the hotel and you know M just wants to go home let's so start packing How you, yep. this was this was a horrific experience he says he can't find his passport and I don't think it's meant to be like a big surprise later that he's lying, that he's just got it hidden somewhere because he wants to stay because this experience has unlocked something. But even in the moment, I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you can't find it. I, I think you're lying.
1: I'm 50-50 because at this point I was already suspicious of how much, because obviously someone had to inform the police that it was sure. them. So I was already suspicious of Gabby and her husband. And I thought maybe while they were out doing the police thing, they may have stolen the passport. Oh, you thought, but... Yeah,
0: okay. I did consider that, but it was just, there was something about the way he came out and said it, it just made it feel like, no, he wants to stay here. He wants to, like, mm. see some of this through or or whatever it may be, like, yeah. whatever this experience is. Because he comes home with an urn of the ashes of his uh, yeah. <laughs> of his clone. <laughs> the first of a few, might I add. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he's going to build up a collection here. <laughs> um so she just wants to leave and she she's really disturbed Uh, you know later on when they're lying in bed she's like how could you just sit there and like like you know because she was crying she was looking away like this was horrific to her and Mm -hmm. she's like how could you just sit there and do nothing and not react to it and like i think a healthy person might still act that way and you know maybe not smell at the end but a healthy person might just be locked in fear like just not knowing how to react because i've certainly had times in my life where I don't give a reaction, and people think I'm being weird. But I'm like, no, I'm just in shock. I can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's
1: it's the, quite literally it's the unable to look away from a car wreck sort of reaction. Yeah, where it's just this horrific thing is happening, but the mind cannot process it, so you're just
0: stuck. But of course, we know that she's onto something real here because he did smell at the end. This wasn't mm. just he couldn't look away. This was there was something else here, and it was almost like the part of him that was holding himself back at least to him spiritually was yeah. just killed like the part that had writer's block or the part who was being pinned because one of the big things that gabby starts saying quite quickly after this is that oh that way for you she's the type of woman that holds a man down and convinces him he's weak and again mm-hmm. it's that's it, that immediate gratification of her propping him up to try and make him do more extreme things with her and her group but yeah. it's that idea that yeah in his head the wife represents this this you know nagging voice you know the, the old trope of the wife being naggy but that she's mm-hmm. this nagging presence in his life that has diminished him and made him think that he can't write made him think that he's not worthwhile that he is just tagging along for the money yeah that he's got a free ride it's basically all of his insecurities in a lot of ways i guess like mm-hmm. he just looks at, when he looks at his wife the, the, the implication i get from how he acts when all this th- stuff starts unfolding is that his wife to him is just like a person that represents every insecurity he has because she's there to yeah. know what they all are. And instead of that being someone who, who he feels support, I'm not saying that she doesn't. like. I The wife definitely seems like the more healthy one of the two as this movie goes on, don't get me well, wrong.
1: Yeah, that's also a thing that comes up a lot later. Um, As we get more and more of these people who are just into doing this constantly as doubles, all of them, at least as far as I can recall, are in partnerships. All of them are doing this like husband and wife sort of thing. And it's this idea of, all of them have someone who sees this darker side of them, sees this this more insecurity side, and they stay regardless. They understand it and they enforce it. They make it yeah. all the more. Whether that's healthy or not, they do it.
0: Well, Whereas I, 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 M I, I, is not that for James. I think that's what's interesting on that point, is that in this case, it's not healthy because it is like these bad sides of themselves being brought out. But... Mm-hmm it is also kind of a representation of a healthy thing and why his marriage isn't working is that yeah. as bad as these people can be, they have someone there to accept them at their darkest and their worst. And that's something mm-hmm. someone you want in a partner. So these people happen to be doing these horrific things, but from like a, a macro sense, like what it represents for his relationship and the idea of having someone that is with you for the ride does mm-hmm. actually, is it feels like a positive element sort of, Nestled within all this negativity, that's kind of surrounding yeah. it, which is Absolutely. which is interesting. It's a very very layered in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. So James goes out sauntering and he ends up running into to Gabby who's just watching, and he's obviously a little bit miffed because it doesn't take a large brain to think that they probably told the police hey it was him that no. did that thing. Okay, he, for sure. he he killed that guy. So she says, no, I wanted to give you an experience. Think of it as a gift. You need inspiration. Do you feel inspired? <laughs> like, I bet he does. <laughs> but she's like, "Hey, come come with me," and she takes him to her group. You know, so so uh, Albin's there, and there's like maybe three other couples yeah. uh, who are part of this group. And it becomes very clear. And I love the way this is shot because it focus like it's a wide shot, but it's really just get him perfectly lit in the middle, and then it's just the backs of most of the other people. Like you can see mm-hmm. uh, Gabby, because she's like next to him, but the way it's framed, it really feels like they're like surrounded them and they're enclosing in on him as yep. they're asking him questions bringing up the idea do you ever wonder if they switched you with the clone before you woke up and hmm. it was the real person who died uh all right we're getting a little bit uh want to reference the movie because it's a spoiler for that movie but it was making me yeah. think of another movie but see the, he as soon as they started that like conversation that
1: was like me thinking oh okay this is where we're finally going to get into the sci-fi aspect the viewing of these consequences and that's where the movie's going to kind of move from there but then almost immediately the guy who brings it up is shot down and everyone's just like who cares it doesn't matter
0: yeah which i which i think is fine like this movie is not about exploring that side of this
1: that's the point where i realized that this movie was not about exploring that side i kept thinking i guess it's probably because you told me hey Join this sci-fi podcast. Here's the first thing we're doing, <laughs> but I, and I kept waiting for it to get really sci-fi.
0: That is really sci-fi, though. Like this does not make it any less sci-fi than if they explored. No, no, no. I yeah, you know. But I feel like I feel, I, like, let's make that I feel clear. like if
1: you would have if you would have ex, ex, if instead I was instead on Scream's After Midnight and you said,
0: "Hey, let's do this movie," I would have gone in
1: with completely different expectations as sure. to where it
0: would have eventually ended up. um But everything operates because of this. This. Cloning yes. technology that this this society has, absolutely. So the so it's like okay, they're like, hey, we want to do something tonight. Like the, uh, the 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 rich guy who basically got us all in trouble and got us all executed again. Not mm-hmm. them personally, but their their doubles executed. Like we want to get revenge on him, so we want you to come with us to do that. And it, again, it feels like this peer pressure kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's also a scene sort of in the middle of all this where he goes to the bathroom and and uh, gabby goes in to to talk to him and th- this yeah. is one of the i think this is the scene where she says about his wife like holding him down that she she convinces you you're weak you know you mm-hmm. need someone like me blah 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 all that kind of i'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly i can't remember the exact lines of dialogue yeah.
1: it it is worth noting though that within this group as well everyone's just kind of lounging about but specifically not with their own partners like Everyone's yeah. kind of, We see Albin is cuddled up with this, this random other woman in the group and it kind of reveals this idea that they have fully given into this idea of just hedonism where it's do whatever it is you want and you won't face any consequences, especially within the in-group. Like there is zero judgment yeah. within this group.
0: Um. So they break into the gift shop to get masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're all wearing these masks for this next big part where they go to this big house and they come in and they, they strip this man and his wife. So mm-hmm. they're butt ass naked and they're tied up and sort of on their knees. So it feels for like this feels super villainous. And there's a moment here where Gabby comes round and like there's a gun in uh James's hand and she's like, Have you ever, you know, fired a gun at someone before? And she points his hand at the guy's head. And James like still has like a line where he's kinda of pulling back and being like, Eh, you know, no, that's yeah. not happening um and it's almost like this sort of like midpoint test of like seeing how far he's willing to go right now because they, they you know she wants to keep pushing him further Um, mm-hmm. honestly the whole movie in a lot of ways felt like like someone who's trying to lure someone into heavy drug use like someone who's yeah. you know like obviously there's literal drug use at one or two points but it's it's very different it's obviously it's a fake thing it's not like a really i mean
1: the the whole thing of hedonism and such like that, or the whole thing of drug use, I should say, is it activates the pleasure centers of your brain. Mm. And you have to do more and more drugs in order to get that same sort of high each time. so And it's the same sort of thing with this group, is they have to do bigger and bigger things in order to get well, that same oh,
0: rush. Which also ties into the wealth thing. Is the idea, if, you're, if you're wealthy you can do anything you want with your money, you start, mm-hmm. that, that's why the, the theory is anyway, that some rich people end up with really extreme... Uh, things that you know like fetishes are really because yeah you know if they can have sex whenever they want and they have a lot of sex then eventually all oh, regular sex isn't that exciting anymore so let's right. space it up with something else and then it keeps you know it keeps escalating mm-hmm. uh kind of a similar idea here because this is all rich people and or oh, we can do anything we want oh we got away with you know accidentally killing someone well uh now we well, do something even purposely
1: more. kill someone so and then we oh we purposely torture someone and then kill them but oh, that's the first we. Like, but, we do all of these bigger and bigger things as we grow.
0: Absolutely. And even before this scene ends, like even before, like, the shootout starts, where, like, a security guard comes in and, uh, mm-hmm. what's his name, Alban gets shot in the leg and uh, Gabby's firing back at him and kills the guard. Like, even before that point, this fella, her- like, you've broken into this family's house, you've stripped them down naked, so they're very vulnerable and exposed, right? Literally, you're seeing this husband and wife, both completely naked, and... They're on their knees. I don't think they're literally begging for their life, but they might as well be. Like, it has that yeah. vibe where they're scared that they're going to be killed. And it's like, you're acting like terrorists right now. That's, this is horrific yeah. in a way that is beyond. Uh, and it's this idea, yeah, the rich don't care about the poor. and they'll, they'll Even though this family's clearly wealthy enough, but...
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not even about them being poor. It's at this point, because this guy is... Like, it's a decently sized house. It's whatever it is. It's more so just the tourists are the only ones who get this out. They're yes. the only ones who get this cloning thing. The other rich people who live on this island permanently, they don't have that out. They don't have the ability to do a clone and then just continue living on. Yeah. So they have to face the consequences if they do something wrong.
0: Yeah, this is just a tourist thing, which again ties into this idea of special treatment for the elite. Mm-hmm. You know, you come in here, you're elite, you get you get special privileges you can get away with just a bit anything and it does this great thing where they sort of like humble stumble back to james's hotel room uh with with albin shot in the leg and they're trying to treat mm-hmm. the wound and M wasn't there for all this and like starts screaming and freaking out when she sees it all this is horrific to her as it should be and yep. it does a smash cut to them all sitting in the police station in the white robes waiting for their their surgery <laughs> and i'm mm-hmm. like Oh, so we're just, we're just like, they've just taken this for granted that they're all going to be cloned and their clones will all be executed. They don't care because they know it won't be them. So they're yeah. all just sitting around having just such benign small talk. Like, nothing. Yeah, of,
1: like, what? One of them's asking, like, oh, hey, did you remember to turn off this uh, this alarm or something like that? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I
0: took care of it. Like, it's just nonsense. And they do a little twist here, actually, where there's a twist here that these are actually the clones because they take them through. The detective says, "Oh, we want to make an example of you because this is not a playground for, uh, you know, tourists to come and do whatever they want, even though it kind of mm-hmm. is." Uh, so he takes them all into like, the execution room, tries to tie them all down, and James fights back and like sort of like punches a few of them, is struggling, and then he gets yep. slit in the throat. And that's when you know the camera sort of goes up and reveals that the real people are all watching. This is the clones that are dying, and the real people. The movie's like sort of subtly try to trick you and say, "Hey, because they've done something so bad, they're just going to kill the real people." They're not, but yeah. that's the 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 well, vibe that yeah, gives you. And I think
1: the biggest part of that, the most important moment from the scene, is the fact that it's obvious the clones don't know they're the clones. Yes, they they wake up, they are in this room, and they think they're still waiting to be cloned
0: And that that's the important thing that was mentioned there. That's a very important important mm-hmm. detail: is that the clones have all the memories. At least at the point of cloning, yep. what the 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 real person knew. So for all intents and purposes, they're still a full form person because they still have all the memories. They're you know mm-hmm. they 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 have got the same fears and all the rest of it. So this yep. is really them fighting for their lives, and, yeah, and they freak out. They are not okay. The real people in our hand, they're cl- they're like yeah, what a show, James? Yeah. I never knew really you had it in you. Look at that fight. Like they're they're enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this idea of like not caring which part of yourself you're sacrificing for your own, like, satisfaction or enjoyment. You know, you could even, like, if you're saying this is all kind of an allusion to, like, taking, like, strong drugs, you could almost say that, I don't care about killing my brain cells for, you know, (laughs) a good time.
1: Well, also, I think that it's going back to the uh, rich and elite metaphor here. Mm. I mean, this is a perfect illustration of how would these people react if they weren't given the out? If they knew that they weren't yeah, going to be able yeah. to use their money or their power to get out of it, and the answer is they're going to be scared shitless. They're not going to be okay. They they can't possibly fathom what they're going to deal with here if they actually have to face any sort
0: of consequences. And sure enough, this you know keeps them going. Uh, the it's after this where she gives them this drug thing, and and I, I think yeah. at
1: this point M has officially bailed. Yeah, I M, think she has uh, left yeah. the island.
0: M's gone. And even points out that she's paid for, that she's already been charged for the room for the next while, so that he can stay mm-hmm. here. And she leaves. Uh, Gabby gives him this, you know, this local drug thing that was said, this hallucinogen, and he starts to see kaleidoscope style stuff, naked Gabby, and then they're clearly having sex. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, in this, and again, it's all very artistic and stylish, but you start to see the other people, of the group, also having sex. And it mixes yep. up, you know, partners. Sometimes it's two women, sometimes it's two men. Uh, sometimes there's three of them together doing something, and it keeps sort of bouncing around. Mm. What I'm expecting wasn't in your cut. Uh, two, well, two, well, you probably had the weird nipple moment if that was this scene. I don't know if it was actually. Yeah, it yeah. was,
1: and yeah, we did.
0: Yeah, so yeah, the nipple kind, of, it, was, it was like a fake nipple started to extend, and then someone was sucking the like out of the the teat. <laughs> As, as
1: people were describing it in the trivia it was a maggot that was coming uh, out of the
0: nipple but the what thing Just, there's a quick shot that really stuck with me though okay was okay so you know how the xenomorph an alien <laughs> okay right the All mouth right. comes out right uh-huh there was a shot of someone's vagina and then the penis came out from inside the vagina yeah, I can't say I recall that. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that's it, a you thing, buddy.
0: It, came, it was not a me thing. It's not it the movie. <laughs> I didn't think of this, but it comes out, and I, I want to say the vagina might rip apart as it does as well. Uh, yeah, definitely did not have that. Yeah,
1: we did have some, as far as I can tell, stock footage. I might have been real of like internal and like a penis like inside oh, of a sure. vagina. Yeah. But no, we did not have Xenomorph exploding out of a.
0: Well, no, it was, it was a penis. It wasn't a xenomorph. I'm just. I'm, it reminded right. me of the Xenomorph mouth coming out of right. the. Gotcha. The outer mouth, I guess. I would imagine
1: that made several people in the MPAA just immediately rip up their cards and say mm. NC17. It doesn't matter what happens now.
0: Honestly, I'm sure you got the effect, and I'm sure this is—it's only yeah. really those two scenes that probably get that greatly affected by the the cuts. Mm-hmm. But I will say, for the sake of that one shot, which is going to leave an impression, I'm glad I watched the uncut version. <laughs> I,
1: I I have no interest in returning to this movie immediately, but I kind of want to just to see that shot. <laughs>
0: Uh there. I think there was something else really graphic that flashed either right before or after it. But I was so like, and like, so I was too busy thinking at that moment to even take in what the next thing was that was really graphic. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, whole, whole, uh, whole orgy sort of like thing mm-hmm. happening there, which you know. So at this point in the movie, and this is where it sort of takes a turn where they tell James that he's going to. Um, get revenge on uh, what's his name Thresh, the thresh. detective who who cloned him and all that, and mm-hmm. he's he's up for it, and they go to get him wherever he lives, and they see like a van leaving of police. Well, and
1: yeah, he's he's at a hospital because he has to get some sort of like infusion or something, so he's actually going to be out cold anyway. And they just kind of wheel oh, him thresh. out from the hospital. Yeah,
0: Thresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they take him out of the the hospital. Uh, and they take him back to wherever, and he's got, like, a, a, like a hood over his his face, mm-hmm. right? You can't see his, his head. And James is, you know, he's drinking. They're dancing around. I think, I think actually, just before this stuff, I think there was the scene where, I think it's just after the orgy, where they're just sitting at breakfast, and they're just throwing yeah. stuff at people, and they're just being obnoxious, horrible assholes. And it's just, again, yeah. it's, this is what you imagine just little shitheads who think they can do whatever they want are doing. This is viewing it from the outside. This is because
1: this whole the whole orgy scene was all internal. It was all this idea of sexual gratification and just pure hedonism on their side. And then it hard cuts to this dude who's just trying to enjoy his vacation with his wife. And James is just like throwing little like pits of peaches at them as they're trying to just sit there. And that's exactly how these people would look if we ran into them in real life. They'd just be mm. pricks in the corner of the restaurant.
0: Yeah, and obviously at this point in the movie, I was thinking of different ways it might be going. I was thinking, mm. oh, like maybe because he's cut off from his wife now, he won't have money next time he needs to be cloned. Right. I, I really yeah. thought that's maybe where it was going, where he was going to actually face consequences at the end. Obviously, because they're on a different path here where... You know he beats up what he thinks is this cop with a bat or whatever, and he's kicking him and then pisses on him, and then applin joins in. He starts pissing on him, and then after this, Gabby just comes over all seductively, takes off the hood to reveal that it's a clone of James. That they paid off the cops to make an extra clone, and James freaks out. And I think this ties into what we're saying about the the mass execution scene where it turned out there were clones. But I think it's even mm-hmm. more potent here. Is you know people when you're talking to children and you're trying to teach them right from wrong, one of the things you might say to them is that you know you don't treat anyone the way or the way that you wouldn't want to be treated. You know you you treat someone with respect because that's what you want. And it's this idea that he literally realizes that he's torturing a version of himself. And as we've already learned, Mm -hmm. this is a version of himself that has all of his memories. He has his history. This is not just like a, a you know a mindless clone yeah and of course it freaks him out of course it does
1: yeah i think if we're looking for it more on like a metaphorical level obviously what you're saying of he's uh just finds out you know treat people the way you want to be treated
0: but well, i think it also I, I, comes i from- think i said that because this is where he finally there's a line that he feels he's crossed because up until this point he is on board with being awful to people he's on board with torturing someone and then he sees it himself right. and that's what well gives him pause that's-
1: this is where I think the transition happens in terms of the metaphor, though, is that up to this point, he's told by Gabby that basically it's not your fault. You like it's your wife who's holding you back. It's all this other stuff. You are a great writer. You are this like good person who is worthy of being able to do this stuff. But I think this is the first scene where it's shown that the person who's holding him back, the person who's causing him the most pain to himself is himself.
0: Oh, absolutely. He's the one
1: who's doing this.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a change in metaphor. I'd say the metaphor is the same. It's just revealing, like, he's thought this the whole time internally that his wife's the one holding him back and mm-hmm. Gabby's feeding into that that belief. But in reality, it's never been her. It's always been him. I think, you know, that's yeah. just... The, the also, movie's sort of like, you know, revealing the truth here, I guess, is what I'll say.
1: There is a sequence. I can't remember where it takes place. It might be after this, but there is a sequence where he hallucinates that his wife is actually the one like strangling him and killing him
0: yeah it's um yeah it's after i think maybe it's, it may actually be like even after the stuff in the bus and that uh now after the thinking, bus. Okay, yeah, i think it is. yeah i think it is yeah i the it's i just farm. think it
1: adds to that like i said that same sort of metaphor of he puts this blame off on other people rather than taking yeah. it
0: for himself yeah because then that's that vision you're talking about it's not hard at first and then the person it's, it's like the kid of the farmer and mm-hmm. then that flesh rips in half and it becomes her and i thought it was interesting because then in that vision she rips him open and there's nothing inside him right and i thought that was a very poignant kind of like moment and image is that Mm -hmm. he's empty inside he doesn't feel like he has anything inside and again that's more of his views on himself is that he feels like he's not worthy and he's so scared of not being worthy that he's been blaming his wife for feeling that way but it's not on Mm. her this is you know it's self-reflection it's uh, examining your own flaws and all that stuff. Um, yep. So, but uh th- and this is where Gabby changes, though, because after he runs away from this scene and they're all just drunk and having a good time, Gabby like follows and like knocks on the door and says like, "Oh, James, don't be pathetic. It's very unattractive," mm-hmm. and starts like mocking him and starts belittling him and treating him like absolute shit because he's not going as far as she wants him to go, yeah. and. This is enough of a lane. This is where he, like, sort of goes and gets his passport from where he's hidden it, and he tries to leave in the morning. You know, he, he, he's got a hat and glasses on. He's trying to sneak out quietly onto the shuttle bus. Because nobody would see a scars guard and his lumbering figure
1: <laughs> leaving the
0: place. And he's driving on the bus, and sure enough, these two cars with these all these people uh, of this group drive up next to the bus, but it's, like, going down the side of this, like, sort of hillside road, mm-hmm. and start beeping the horn, and they drive in front of the bus, and this is where, like, Mia Goth's been great throughout the whole movie. I think her yelling with this gun in her hand oh, yeah. is, like, like where her performance goes to the next level. Because mm-hmm. you really get this idea of this deranged person who believes that no one can say no to her. Because she, she straight up threatens, if you don't send out James from that bus, I'm going to start killing everyone on the bus. And I'm like, I think she believes she can get away with that. Like, But she can. Everything
1: we've seen is she can get away with it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. I'm yeah. just about the point being is that because she's at the point there where she believes that she, mm-hmm. this is how awful she is. If she doesn't get what she wants, she'll just start killing people. So James yeah. comes off, and then there's like a literal parade of humiliation where they're driving mm-hmm. the cars slowly behind him, and they're making him walk in front. And she's lying on top of the the front of the car having a picnic. She's like drinking booze and eating something, yeah. and this is where she's like mocking him and saying how he's pathetic and oh you really believed I wanted you you believed that I read your book and she she, yeah. she whips out a print out of one of the reviews of his book and starts like like well she doesn't analyze it but she's reading the review which is analyzing the book and said how oh he's got nothing to say so he he tries to make up for it with pretension and I'm like yeah. and this ties into the idea of him being hollow on the inside and but I, I just with that exact line I feel like that
1: was something that like was said about possession or something or possessors <laughs> that he's just immediately pulling out. Cause it's, it's so clear in this sequence, at least that James is a self-reflection on Brandon, that he is this thing of how, how good is he individually compared yeah. to the nepotism idea?
0: I, I think it's, it's interesting as well as the, um the, the idea that this is a big motivating factor. And like we've, we've talked about how, He's he started to project onto the wife and seen her as this, this person mm-hmm. who is holding him down in some ways and making him feel smaller because he's not doing good enough. But I think the, right at the start of the movie, they set up this, he wrote a book and it didn't do very well. He's not written another one, right? It's not a thing. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that, that uh, Gabby and co prod him with right away is like, "How oh, you wrote a book? Where's the new one? They know that's an awkward question when they ask it. They they, they know yeah. that's going to like make him feel something. I think this idea of, like, the criticism he got of the book is maybe where he started feeling hollow, and he's felt that way maybe increasingly since, right? You know, the idea that it hit him hard, maybe in a way that he's not even realised. I have no idea what that was. Sorry sound like some sort of demented duck what was happening yeah. there was um, something vibrating but i don't know what maybe my phone went off i don't know um unprofessional i'm sorry your first episode come on david
1: i'm throwing all my electronics away
0: <laughs> yes so like this this literal humiliation parade i thought was like this is where we're almost throwing reality i mean it's still real what's happening here but it almost felt like, okay, we're just diving head into like, what the movie's about now without really considering uh, the larger real-world consequences. And mm-hmm. he manages to get He runs away. He fights back a little bit. You know, He sort of knocks the gun out of her hand. Cause she, she's holding yeah. a gun the entire time in this scene, by the way. She's pointing a gun at him the whole time. And he ends up running off. And they're just laughing, and they, they fight him a little bit, but they're kind of enjoying it, and they're just sort of... They feel like bullies, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I, I especially appreciate this scene because it feels like, on first watch-through, it feels like this is the moment where he finally takes control of his life. Like, he's finally, like, fighting back against these people who are leading him down this wrong path. But by the time you reach the end, you realize it it's nowhere near enough. No. That's not what we're leading towards. He needs a much bigger self-realization to get there.
0: It's... I mean, I think, yeah, if you look at this as a a movie about, like... How much you can punish yourself if, like... In in this particular case, they're using, like, criticism because you're you're an artist who's put out work. Mm -hmm. And it's being criticized, and you've let that eat at you so much that you have no self-worth anymore. And, Mm. like, how much of a hole he seemingly has dug himself into over these years to the point where this has all worked in him. And, you know, this is maybe a bit too surface level, but maybe this is even saying something about the dangers of, like, fake admiration and toxic fandom or, or something like that. I mean, you could, yeah, you could see a maybe a little of that in here. But anyway, mm. he escapes however brief, he runs off and he you know, dramatically ironic, but very intentional, he ends up at the farm of the family who's who the man that he killed by accident uh is living. Uh mm. and they seem to help him. You know, because he, he passes out in front of the building and he wakes up like in the bed in the barn. Like they have they've, they've patched them up or they've at least put him in a bed.
1: Now, obviously he does reach a farm. I'm not questioning that because that's how the whole ending comes out. But the next sequence that we see is the son of the farmer come into the room and basically start strangling him. Sure. And obviously I think that that's implied to be a dream sequence.
0: Oh, it definitely is. is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Is there anything to say that this is the same farm outside of that dream sequence?
0: That is fair, but I actually had the thought that this was the farm of that family the second he saw it because it, it just story-wise yeah, felt too prominent so i i think it doesn't actually matter if it really is or it isn't i think the point is is that when he looks at it that's what he's thinking about he's thinking about the man that mm-hmm. he killed and now he's finally maybe feeling some level of guilt or irony of the fact that oh i've ended up where yeah. you know this man was 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 a loving husband and father or whatever mm-hmm. so whether it actually is or isn't i don't even think it's important i think it's more about no. it, it just represents that to him
1: Yeah, I think that this is the in terms of the idea of, you know, legal system elites and all that. Obviously, in terms of a legal punishment, they can't get away from or they can get away from it with money. But in terms of the guilt, that's the sort of thing where someone who, as we've established, James is a bit more down to earth than possibly these other people because he is not a part of money. So that guilt is something that's going to come back to him it's something that's going to hit him and i think yeah. that's what this scene is is basically it's the guilt coming back of his original crime there
0: and i think it's the idea that yeah obviously if you suddenly have access to the money like he kind of has because of his marriage there mm-hmm. is this temptation to use it in certain ways and there's temptation to be seduced by the the power of it and that's kind of yeah. also what this movie's about in a large sense is the seduction of being able to just do what you want so yeah, yeah but all the group led by gabby all show up outside and sort of almost make a... Not a ring, but they've got, like, three cars with all their headlights on, and it's kind of makes a little fight pit, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. And they pull out the clone, who they've got on a leash, and they refer to simply as Dog. And they say, hey, it's time for you to kill the Dog. And obviously he doesn't want to, but this other version of him, which has been clearly held captive for a couple of days at this point, is mm-hmm. almost feral, and is, like, sort of fighting, thinking maybe if he can kill the real one, that maybe he'll get to be the real one and that he can get out of this. So it becomes this literal fight to see which version of himself gets to live. And you can, you know, look at this in some different ways. Because I I think the fact that he's doing this is a negative thing, right? This is him going one step further. He's been forced to kill a part of himself. I don't think they are doing this out of some sort of symbolic way of killing the bad part of yourself. I don't think it's that at all. (sighs) i mean i don't think it's part of symbolic of like killing the bad
1: part of yourself but i do i mean obviously all of the imagery in this sequence is very emblematic of rebirth it's very emblematic of you know the old you is dead the new you is coming on so i guess it's not so much the bad part as much as just who you were before
0: all of this but it's a rebirth in their eyes though and i think at this point in this group like uh, because so just to sort of go after this so he kills the the clone right he's able to win the mm. fight eventually he, once he's attacked enough, very, he fights brutally. Back. very brutally yeah he punches him in the head so much that he starts to just cave in his head which yes. is very similar to the victim you know mm-hmm. with the, the driving early on so at the end of the movie like and like the whole group's now it's time to go home storm season's coming in and they're all getting on the shuttle and they all sit in their their various couples or whatever on the, the coach and he's at the back on his own and they're all just making small talk, and it's very clear that now their vacation's over; that they're back to being whatever mm. their normal is. So they're making small talk like they're just normal people now. And he's like still like, up the back, shell shocked, and sort of like just feeling outside of their world. He can't just go back to being normal again. And mm. even at the airport, like he's he's with Gabby and um, and Albin, Albin. and mm. they're saying, "Hey, yeah, we're going back to LA to do this, blah blah blah, uh, have a nice flight." and I thought the performance here from Mia Goth again was great because her body language in this scene is just like, yeah, this is a normal person who you've kind of become an acquaintance of. There is not a hint from her in this scene, the way she talks to him, looks at him or doesn't look at him, that there was ever any sexual encounter, that there was ever any uh, tension between them or anything happened. You wouldn't think they, you would think they barely knew each other from the way they talked to each other in this scene.
1: Yeah, throughout this whole movie, like her makeup's done, her hair's let down. It's always styled. She's wearing very nice dresses and such and bikinis, but then as as they're getting on this bus and going to the airport, she's in a sweatshirt. She's not wearing any makeup. Her hair is up. Like she's just looking like any other person that you would see at the grocery store, pretty much. Yeah, and it's just basically an entirely different character at this point because, in truth, it really is when she is going back to her quote unquote real life she has to face consequences again and therefore she's gonna put that mask back on she's not gonna be this person that she truly is underneath
0: yeah and he sits there and i think this is the point where to me the ending i don't think you necessarily have to take as literal i think you can sort of Mm. still take it as he did go home because he's supposed to go home to his wife um And that's up to you if you really want to agree with that or not, I suppose. Not you specifically, I just mean in general. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. Because I think to me, you know, this ending where it looks like he's not got on the plane and there's no one else left in the airport, and then it cuts back to the hotel, and you see it's all been covered up for storm season, and there's just rain pummeling down on the pool, pummeling Mm -hmm. down on the decks and the chairs. And then the final couple of shots are just him sitting on a a chair on the beach as the rain's pouring down on him, and that's where the movie ends to me that ending saying that like mentally mm-hmm. he will never leave this place or at the very least he's yeah. not left it yet like he's still trapped here as far as a, him as a person goes maybe not physically he may have literally went home but mentally he is still trapped here because of what went on here and yeah yeah
1: i do th- i do think it's very interesting that before he goes uh to the airport before he hops on the bus he actually is talking to m on the phone he's apologizing he's yeah, saying I yeah. don't you know all this bad stuff and it does sound like he is going to make his way back home because obviously as we've said in the rest of the movie is that she is not the kind of partner that like these other she's not as supportive as the other partners were in this so it was really up for debate as to whether or not she he would return back to her oh, although i, I would all like to said and
0: done. point this out though that the movie's very mm-hmm. much from his perspective and when yep. you say she's not as supportive as the other partners, I do wonder, is that just because of what he's put... Like, he's only getting back what he puts into the the, oh, the yeah. relationship himself. Like, like, I don't think it's ever tried to say that she's this villainous wife or anything like that. It's,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, especially because it's from his perspective, we never really even find out what she does for a living. No, All we know no. is she's rich, and obviously that's the part that matters to him. And that the father is in publishing. Those are the two things we know about her, and it's the only
0: things that matter to james and i think when you look at the ending uh you know whether you're taking it literal or just like a, a representation of like mm-hmm. him mentally never being able to leave this place i think you can even read that a couple of different ways you can read that as he's so horrified by what who people are and what these other people have done and made him do that he will never get over it and he's going to be trapped the here guilt. forever because of that or yeah. alternatively like on some level, he knows he actually did have a rebirth and he liked a lot of what he did. And there's guilt over over that. Mm. Or thirdly, it's the idea that much like these other people, these other people will also mentally never leave here. And they are, I mean, obviously, he, the director could have shown this by having them also sitting with them, I suppose, if he wanted right. to. But this idea that once you've truly felt that freedom of no consequences, you're always wanting to go back. You're always yearning for that again. So that idea that he's still there, because he needs to go back again at some... Because there's even a line, one of the last things they say to him, even though they're in, like, normal mode, they say, Mm -hmm. oh, I hope we see you again next year, right? Yeah. As as if, yeah, they're just casual friends from a, a trip. But obviously we know that as soon as they come back, they're going to, like, slip those masks off, and they're going to turn into these awful, awful human beings again.
1: Yeah, I'm... The only thing that tears me away from the idea that he enjoys it and wants to go back like he wants to be there is the storm imagery i think that having it be yeah, this torrential happy. downpour, yeah. he like he doesn't want that in any regard he might be stuck there mentally like you're saying but he's it's not something that he's happy yeah, with.
0: he's disturbed by the fact that he's like mm-hmm. still there and might never be able to sort of completely leave it behind yeah yeah um also i like um
1: this is where i thought i saw the infinity pool itself is there's a specific imagery where they show the infinity pool. And because, you know, the edge is not able to be seen, it looks like it's just water. And the shot is specifically of the water from the pool, clear crystal, super nice looking. And then it's because you can't see the edge. The very next thing next to it is the ocean. Mm. And obviously it's rough, it's waves, it's dark. And it's that idea of the boundaries that these two different things that he's now become of this you know dark darker entity and then this mask that he has to have are literally just right next to each other they're all both right here yeah for him
0: no no, that's that's good yeah i like that that's a good shot uh um yeah and i I, honestly i don't even know which interpretation of the ending i like more to be honest because sometimes you know i'll come out of a movie and i'll be you know what this one interpretation speaks to me and it makes the film richer but this Mm -hmm. one like i don't think i've decided what Like outcome I like the most. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: I mean it. It all really go. I think it depends more on the idea of how dour do you want him to have to be? Because if he goes back and gets to live his life as normal, that's kind of a happy ending for him. Obviously, he's still messed up in the head, but at least he gets like it's a. It's saying that society and such will never change, and these people are able to just go and live their lives as normal. However, if you view it the idea that he literally is still on the island, then or even just mentally he's stuck there, then it's this idea that, no, there are consequences for your actions, and that you can't just yeah. put onto a double and throw that away.
0: Yeah, I think you could read it that way, that these other people are able to just switch off again, or switch back on again, if you will, depending on which way you might mm-hmm. look at it. and. Right. Can leave it behind. But for him, no. He'll always have the guilt of what he did here. He can he can never mm. just let that go. He's not like them. And arguably you could say that's kind of a happy ending in a sense, because it means that he's still got a conscience. He's still human. He mm. still has moral lines. Right. And if he does go back to his wife, maybe it's this idea that he's realized, Okay, I realized enough to know that I'm not one of those people. And that I should mm. find happiness wherever I can and at the very least i you know I, I think if anything the movie's definitely a warning against being better and against you know making yourself think that you feel unfulfilled by certain things and you can't do yeah. something uh because you know everything that's preyed upon him with the temptation of gabby with the temptation of doing whatever you want and getting away with it with no consequences it's mm-hmm. all to fill a hole and that hole is the infinity pool that he created for himself
1: the real infinity pool was inside us all along. Ah, uh, dear. Uh, so there's a there's a website. I just had to check this. There's a website called the dot com
0: where they talk about movies and they like <laughs> advise people whether or not there Do are certain triggers. It took me a second there to realize why would you even check that for this? And I'm yeah. like, oh wait a minute, yeah, okay. I I had to
1: know whether or not people were like saying the dog died and to be fair most everything is pretty cut and dry one way or the other there are 31 no the dog does not die in this movie because they're taking it literally but there are six people who said yes the dog does die so got a little bit of an iffy thing on that i do love there's one comment here though that says uh when a character says bring out the dog i was very upset and then because i saw it was a person i was like oh thank god it's just a man on a leash.'"
0: Which is its own little psychological uh, rabbit hole of uh, things to digest. But (laughs) yeah, um, it's a very layered film. It's a film that Mm -hmm. I think I will probably have more advanced interpretations of if I see it again. Uh, It'll it'll develop over time. Much like Possessor, I think it's got a lot of complex ideas that it feels like it's got something to say, uh, but with multiple ways of considering it and thinking about uh, Mm -hmm. how it's saying them. And, you know, we're talking about the idea of wealthy people doing whatever they want. We're talking about the idea of that being like a, a crutch when you have like no self uh, esteem or or no Mm -hmm. self confidence, like all these ideas, a very character driven film. uh, It's all very good. And if anything, I probably like it more after we've talked about it than I did even when the credits started to roll. So
1: for sure. I mean, for me, I think that it is a, Like you said, it's a very layered film, but I think that what gets me the most is that as much as I was saying that I was waiting for it to do something more sci-fi, it wasn't like that was detrimental to the movie. By the time I realized that, no, this is—if I had to pick a single category for it, it's psychological thriller. Like, it is diving deep into this character's psyche and saying, what type of person are we going to end up as by the end of this movie? And I think it does a really great job of viewing this through the lens of self-worth and what consequences mean to people in general. Like, how does it shape you to know that you can't just do anything?
0: And it's a tragedy so, because, you know, he could have went with his wife the first chance he got. Mm-hmm. He could have made lots of decisions at various points, but he kept giving in and being tempted by the the tantalizing, you know, yep. like character who, who represents like all the desires that he has and you know um and again it's not an accident that she keeps feeding his ego it's not just that she's an attractive woman who's flirting with them it's that no i love your work i loved you as a writer yeah you're good at everything mm-hmm. yeah you're better th- 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 the movies and tommy Wiseau. you're that good yeah
1: so this is this is how tommy Wiseau and neil breen wake up every morning they just have a little
0: <laughs> mia goth in their head saying like you did it you're the best uh it's probably distressing to think that there actually is just like a, a delusional wife who's with them who is telling Neil Breen that he's he's a genius yeah. and that he's the best <laughs> and that he's all these things. Uh Well, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Easy episode for your first first attempt. David, yeah. uh, what are you rating infinity pool? Um And you can't rate it infinity, even if that's dang it funny. That's okay. I don't even know
1: how to type that in on our little score sheet here. So Um I mean, again, it's it's deeply layered, there's a lot going on with it. Um I I liked everything it had to do. I don't think there's anything that I really would say is unnecessary, as you said towards the beginning, it's dense. Like it yeah. everything you're seeing plays into something that comes out later. It's nothing's done just as a oh, look at the shock factor. Except maybe penis exploding out of a vagina, but I haven't seen that, so I don't know <laughs> if it
0: is. Oh. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> so overall i think right now i'd say this one is probably i think it's probably an 8.5 i think i I really like the themes it's playing with and i'm always a sucker for like deeper heady like philosophical films of what does it mean as like the self or whatever so sure, sure. this mm-hmm. was already right up my alley but 8.5 sounds good to me
0: yeah um i'm in a very similar ballpark i <sighs> It's funny, I think when the movie ended I was probably just a flat eight, but I'm just I'm mm. wondering if the conversation has sort of also got me up to the eight point five at least, because right. it has a very rich film, it's got a lot going on, and I, I do think it's even better now that I've talked about it. So I think I'll also go the eight point five, but it's a okay. sort of thing, I could see it even going up more with, with- further viewings you know
1: this is the sort of thing where if it manages to hit like a cultural zeitgeist or something and a lot more like think pieces are done i could really
0: see a lot more being explored oh yeah we talked about here oh yeah oh yeah like we're idiots i bet there's some real (laughs) smart people who are going to deconstruct this into new avenues to view it through new lenses i can't Um, wait for someone to tell me what the hell an id actually is (laughs) because i think it's important here is like you know you've got this temptress character effectively in Mia Garth and -hmm. I think it's very important that because I think it'd be a very easy thing to dismiss that oh as a sexist and she's the awful kid I was like no but the wife's a good person and he's the idiot who keeps not listening to her and going with the sexy one like Mm -hmm. not that the wife's not sexy I don't mean that I just mean from his perspective he's tantalized yeah
1: it's it's the shiny new toy compared to old
0: reliable so you know th- this is all very much from his perspective this is how much of a flawed psyche he has it's not mm-hmm. like every other character is viewed through his lens and has to be kind of taken that way yeah so yeah um yeah well okay we've rated the movie so it's time for the little <laughs> bonus segment before we uh wrap up the show hey. although before we do the bonus section i'll just tell mm-hmm. you about patreon.com slash malefuzz tv uh you can go over and support the show and all the podcasts we do uh, with a little bit of money, and you get some bonus content every month. Uh, me and David do two monthly shows on Patreon. Uh, we have extra reels at the five dollar and up tier, which is where we review some of the worst movies of all time. Sometimes they're so bad they're good, which is the idea. That's the hope, anyway. Uh, and mm. now that David's also on ace, uh, that will include occasionally sci-fi. Uh, you know, so bad they might be good movies. So,
1: will glad to yeah. have that.
0: That's a that's the thing. Uh also monthly uh for all the tiers we do the Criterion Cut, which is a monthly review show where we talk about movies from the Criterion Collection. So it's the opposite of extra reels. It's the hopefully the best of the best. <laughs> uh so uh you can get that plus other stuff for Screams After Midnight and more over on patreon.com slash mailfuz TV. But anyway, yes. David has strategically decided not to tell me in advance what he's watched for his homework. So this is a surprise yep. to me as it is to everyone else. David and Why do I don't will you, never tell you. <laughs> why don't you reveal to everyone which 80 sci-fi movie you watch from the Ace Archive?
1: Alright. So just to be clear, it's not always going to be 80 sci-fi. It's just for no, maybe no, like no. six months or so. But uh for this episode I chose episode number ninety eight, The Dead Zone, directed by uh-huh. David Cronenberg.
0: Very good. Here was me thinking you may pick Possessor, but... Oh, well. Is that 80s? No, it's not, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was Look, say, I'm just saying, there was a good reason
1: to do it, all right? There was, there was. And I did consider it, but in the end, this seemed a bit more up the alley. So okay. anyway, uh, Dead Zone, it is a movie where Christopher Walken, he finds out, or he gets into an accident, and when he awakes, he has psychic powers, and he uses those in a bunch of creative ways. It's based off of a... Stephen King novel mm-hmm. and father of I, joking yes yes and I actually uh, I really liked it I think that I was a bit surprised going into it because it was a bit slower paced to start with but dear lord by the end it just goes off the rails and I could never really predict where the movie was going to end up and I think I kind of felt like it was a adaptational thing where the Stephen King book didn't read it don't know what's in it but I felt like this movie had chapters. This movie had, here's the section Mm. of the book where he deals with this. And a lot had to be sort of cut out in order to get it down to just movie size. But by the time it really hits the third act, I think everything comes together in a really interesting way. Um, The effects are good. I really enjoyed one of the earliest things is that he sees a fire happening and it's just incredible the way they make the fire effects work because he's literally inside of it. So yeah, overall, I'd say that movie is probably, for me, uh, I'd give it a straight seven. I think it's really good.
0: What did I give it? Because you've got the list in front of you. You
1: gave it a 7.5. Yeah,
0: okay. That's, 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 fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I like Dead Zone when, when we did it. it was, I think mm-hmm. Walkin's performance is is very good. The ice, it's gotta break you know, the, the 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 pausing and i can't do the voice obviously but the... i was
1: gonna say as i listened to the review because i did want yeah. to hear what you and tara had to say you explicitly started the episode with i'm not gonna do a christopher walken accent because i can't
0: <laughs> yes but we're far this is the new era baby mm. we're we're in uh we're in the the, the, the pt line that's post tara <laughs> all right there's works for me Aye. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's DT which is during Tara and PT which PT. is post-Tara. post Tara. All right. All right. Those are the eras. The epochs of <laughs> Ace. <laughs> no, it's a good movie. So it's all about you know because the visions are all related to how, to death in some way. So it's mm-hmm. kind of him trying to intervene and no one believes him. So there's a lot of good thriller stuff there. I I think the climax is one of the best parts of the movie. Actually, uh, I won't yes. talk about what it is, but I remember mm-hmm. like I remember enjoying a lot of the movie, but not necessarily being in love with it. And then the climax kind of. Oh, you know what? That's kind of brought it together in a really cool way for me. Yeah, that's so, what I was
1: saying about the third act. I really think yeah. that it was just wow how it managed to get there.
0: All right, cool. All right, just uh two hundred and fourteen more to go, David. Very good. All right, uh, so not doing bonus episodes. Nope. <laughs> so uh, that is the show. Obviously, we told you about Patreon, but if you can't do that, that's okay. Hit the like button on YouTube. It helps out a lot, and more people find the show. So please do, uh, or rate the podcast uh, on on the the iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, the apps. Yes. Yes. Uh, so do all that. But uh, that is the show. So hopefully you'll enjoy the new era of the Atomic Serum experiment. And we will see you again next time, which I, I usually tell them what's coming next. I suppose I should do that uh, mm-hmm. since I can. We have it all written it, down. So, it was
1: our vote that just happened.
0: Oh, well, you're right. It is the vote, yeah. Uh, so every month on patreon.com slash Melfast TV where patrons at uh, the voting tier and up get to do a few votes and one of them was for Ace and the winner of the cyberpunk slash dystopia vote was Upgrade so we'll be looking at Lee L's Upgrade next week so uh, check yeah. it out in advance if you want to and uh, join us for that but that is the show so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction and computer at salsa